Hello, I'm Anna Elliott and this is Blendle Handpicked. If you give me five minutes of your time, I'll give you three stories that stood out above all the rest this week. My first pick this week comes from Karina Shakano in the most recent issue of Vanity Fair, and it's a profile on the surfer mum Instagram influences of Byron Bay in Australia. It features insta-celebrities like Courtney Adamo, who fill their feeds with images of their seemingly idyllic lives, drawing in followers with their performance of a lifestyle that involves pastel colours, lots of linen, and a portrayal of family life that just doesn't seem all that feasible when you have several young children. What makes this piece so great is that it's clear Shikano is sceptical of the clique of women she's profiling, but her scepticism comes across in a wonderfully understated way. So much of the shade she throws comes in the form of just straightforward factual statements. She doesn't even need to be explicit about her judgement because her prose is already so brutal and telling. Here's an example passage. They live in old-fashioned houses and give their carefully unstyled children names that sound dreamed up for a goop collaboration with Lemony Snicket. They're married to supportive, handsome and scruffy men of purpose. They make their own hours and dinners and soap. They have their own brands. They are their own brands. And they're all mums. They all feature their kids in their work as mid-tier family lifestyle micro-influencers. Yes, that's a thing. Which brings us to the main point of tension in the piece. Anybody who has ever been around children knows that they're messy and they're loud and they don't wear what you want them to wear. But these influencers portray a life that's all spotless kitchens, smiles and sunshine with their little angels running around in sustainable clothing that also happens to be very chic. Isn't that at best a bit deceptive and at worst a form of gaslighting? Shikano explains beautifully and eloquently, Everybody knows how excruciatingly hard it is to raise children, to keep house, to stay solvent, to survive. And following people who appear to do this with ease, who make a talent and a virtue out of being lucky, creates an unbearable feeling of cognitive dissonance in the beholder. For this piece, Shikano does an excellent job of faithfully reporting on the lives of these women while explaining the crux of a problem that smartly feeds into a wider conversation about social media as a whole. The result is a truly remarkable report. I'd highly recommend checking out the full 27-minute piece in Vanity Fair. My second pick today is a big investigation from Alexandra Burzen, Shane Shiflett and Justin Sheck from The Wall Street Journal into how Amazon allows banned, unsafe and mislabeled products on its platform. This investigation is absolutely outstanding in its journalistic rigour and breathtaking in its findings. Millions of people shop on Amazon, believing it to hold its products to a safety standard deemed good enough for customers. But these reporters found that that's just not the case. Amazon acts as a platform for third-party sellers with, let's say, unscrupulous safety policies. Burzen, Shiflet and Shegg uncovered precisely 4,152 products for sale on Amazon.com that have been declared unsafe by US federal agencies, are deceptively labelled, or are banned by US federal regulators. And at least 2,000 of those were toys or medications that lacked warnings about health risks to children. The details get even more disturbing. 157 of those products were ones that Amazon said it had banned, raising the question, does the tech giant even have full control over what happens on its site anymore? 
It sells sleeping mats that the Food and Drug Administration warns can suffocate babies. It sells toys with lead levels that far exceed safety limits. It sells bike helmets with fake safety certificates. And that's just a few of hundreds of examples of unsafe products in this investigation. One of the great things about this piece is it provides a running account of Amazon's reaction to its findings. After telling the company about those 4,152 products, 57% were either taken down or had their wording altered, but many others popped up in their place. It seems clear that Amazon's automated tools are not up to the task of protecting customers online, and this all feeds into the narrative that the big tech companies have either lost control of their giant platforms or refused to control them. Without some big legal changes, it seems unlikely that Amazon will respond properly to the findings of this serious, important investigation. If you ever use Amazon, this will change the way you shop online. Check out the full 17-minute piece in Saturday's Wall Street Journal. Last up today, I've got a wonderful interview from Kim Severson in the New York Times with Jamie Oliver, the cheeky British culinary extraordinaire who bounded onto our screens 20 years ago as the Naked Chef. So many people, myself included, swear by his recipes in the kitchen, so I was really excited to read this interview. But things have been tough for Jamie recently. Severson describes how, at 44, Mr. Oliver comes off more like a pleasant, world-weary high school teacher than the arrogant, jokey bloke everyone wanted to hang around with back when he blew up food TV. In short, he's tired, and he has good reason to be. In the last few years, his restaurant empire has been doing badly, owing nearly £83 million to creditors. Jamie's tried hard to keep it alive, even injecting £15 million of his own money into the business, but it didn't work. He's had to close or sell 25 restaurants, putting 1,000 people out of a job. And it's clear that weighs on him. He says, that was the hardest thing I've ever had to do. The tabloids have been tough on him, and Severson does go into some detail about the various factors that led to the business's downfall, some of them potentially Jamie's fault. But he's optimistic by nature and used to hard work, and Severson teases out details of how it was his upbeat, energetic style that ushered a generation of young men into the kitchen and taught them expressions like pucker, which means excellent, and lovely jubbly, also excellent. And that energy runs through this piece, it's a big part of why people young and old know who he is and feel warm towards him. His cookbooks still sell incredibly well. For a time, only J.K. Rowling outsold him in the UK. And his family life is as solid as ever. He's been married 20 years and has five children. The section where he talks about his family is particularly sweet. But the most exciting part of this piece is where Severson drills down on his mission. Jamie has run several campaigns to get Brits eating healthier, especially children. And he's had huge successes in getting the government to ban certain foods at school lunches. You get the strong sense here that it's his irrepressible enthusiasm that keeps him bouncing back. And perhaps it's for the best that his restaurant chain failed. Now he has more time and energy to spend on things he does best, cooking and getting us all to eat better. You can find the full 10-minute interview just by clicking that link in the show notes. Thanks for joining me for this week's top stories. Check out the show notes for the links to the articles. And if you want to read more, you can go to blendle.com and subscribe to the Daily Digest newsletter, which we send out at 8am Eastern. If you want to get in touch with your thoughts on the show, you can email me at editorial at blendle.com and you can follow us on Twitter at Blendle. Thanks for listening and I'll see you next week. <laughs>